Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Welcome, everybody, again. Glad that you're here. Uh, It's my privilege. I'm Luke. I'm the pastor here. It's my privilege to uh, bring God's word to you today. And I think we have something really significant and important to look at. And if I'm being honest, I think it's uh, really going to be useful for you in your life. So useful, in fact, that I found myself getting a little nervous, which is uncommon for me, that I'm not going to be able to communicate this to you accurately. And so I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. We're taking a few weeks here as we turn into the school year to look at some pictures of Jesus Christ in this book of Hebrews as a way of trying to kind of get our hearts not towards something extraordinarily practical for me. Because sometimes, I talked about this a little last week, we come to the Bible like it's, uh, like it's a podcast or a YouTube video or some kind of like, you know, Tony Robbins-esque uh, speaker where if I just follow these three steps, I'm guaranteed to be a success. And the Bible has all kinds of principles that are going to help you in your life, but the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about the God who made this universe, who revealed himself to us. And we don't, like, look to the Bible to see how can it make my life better first. We look to the Bible to see who is this God and how can I make sure that I'm on the right page with him. That's what we're aiming for, and we're using this idea and word of worthy. It's the idea of able to live up to the standard able to know uh, if, able to fulfill the obligation. Uh, like I told you guys last week in the sermon, I'm, uh, I got roped into coaching a football team, and we have a scrimmage this afternoon, and I'm like, I woke up this morning, and the first thing in my mind was, we're going to get crushed, and everyone's going to know that I don't know what I'm doing. I am not worthy for the task. Um, that will be true whether we do well in our game today or not, but we all have that feeling of, am I able to measure up? Sometimes we go to places we feel like a, a poser or like uh, maybe you come to church and you're like, I don't know, everybody else here seems to have the perfect family. Everybody else, I saw some of these people, they were even carrying a Bible in and you, you may get that feeling like maybe I don't belong here. If you knew the stories of all the people in here, you'd know that we're all just mixed up people trying our best to follow a good God. And some of us have been working on that for a little bit longer, but we're not worthy, but he is Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking at here. And this is... Uh, I'm at the end of chapter 4, and I want to read to you these three verses that we're going to look at today. If you're there and you're ready, please say ready. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Three verses, and they're powerful. First verse says, so we have this great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens. What does it mean? Why does it matter? So Jesus is our high priest. Why does that matter? When I say the word priest, you may think like an old guy in a fancy robe. You may think of a, a scene in a TV show where someone's like giving confession, you know, through one of those little windows or something. You, when I say priest, you may think that. Maybe that's what you grew up with. Maybe that's your background. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is a high priest? What does that mean that he's our great high priest? Well, you have to understand what's happening in the Bible and kind of human history for just a second. So in the Old Testament, uh, we, the people did not have free access to God like we do now. They were not allowed to just gather whenever they want or with whoever they want to worship God. There was this idea that God was far away, and he put one person or a group of people, these priests, to stand in between them and God. Have you ever had a, a job where there was like a lot of hierarchy and you couldn't just like get a hold of the boss. You had to go through a gatekeeper. You ever had that? Uh, it's like one of my favorite things uh, when Michael Scott is trying to get a hold of David Wallace, but he can't get a hold of David Wallace. He has to go through the secretary. And if you don't know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But we've had that experience of like, I want to talk to the person in charge, but I can't. I got to talk. I've got to settle for this person right here. That's kind of the way that it worked in the Old Testament. The priests were the people who were assigned the job of advocating for the people to God. Uh, the high priest in the Old Testament, I have a definition here that can be put on the screen. The high priest served as a representative and a mediator between the people and God. So all of us have this sin problem. And this sin problem can only be dealt with by blood being shed to make right our relationship with God. And in the Old Testament system, that was the job of the priests. The author of Hebrews is coming here now to say, now here's the deal. Now, now, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's not just a fragile human man anymore. It is the perfect Son of God. And because of that, that's the last part of verse 14. Look at it. He says, let us hold fast to our confession. I want to show you today four reasons why Jesus Christ is worthy to hold on to, and this is the first one. He is over it all. Jesus is worthy. He's worth holding on to. Because he is over it all. That word there, maybe in, your, in my Bible it says hold fast. The original Greek word uh, means like something like to seize or to grab or to hold tight. To seize or to grab or to hold tight. And it's in the present tense. And because it's in the present tense in the original, it's not like hold on to it once. It's like keep on holding on to it. Uh, one of the best moments in our house every night is uh, the moment when uh, the little princess, our almost five-year-old daughter, is finally put into bed for the night. Uh, it, I, I, she's great when she's awake, but it's something, I'm not the only one who feels that way. It's like, yeah, okay, so we made it, we made it. And almost inevitably, she's smart enough now at the age that she's at, that almost inevitably, she leaves one of her prized needs-to-have-at-bed possessions, her little bunny, behind somewhere downstairs. And so we've made it upstairs, and we've put her to bed, and it's like right at the moment where the light's about to go off, and you're just about to do that exhale, and, she, and, it's, and then you can hear it coming from downstairs. Where's Bunny? <laughs> now, we lost the battle all a long time ago of, well, you could just sleep without the bunny. That, that battle was lost low these many years ago. So it now becomes, all right, boys, everybody up, everybody. Nothing can happen in this, this world. There's not one more thing that's going to happen until we find this bunny. And then when you hand it to her, 
she grabs onto it like it's live and about to jump out of her bed. She holds it with an intensity and a fervor because it somehow has become a point of security for her. And because it's become a point of security for her, she's not going to let it go. Now, let's honestly, we all understand what I'm talking about, don't we? We all understand if you've ever been around a child. That's the idea that's right here that says, since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, you see it, let us hold fast, but not to a little bunny, to our confession. Okay, what does that mean, our confession? I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is worth holding on to. What I'm saying is you want to hold on to this, this idea, your confession. What does that word confession in that sentence mean? It doesn't mean like maybe your most common understanding like to unveil your thoughts and feelings like I need to confess to you that I drove too fast and I feel kind of guilty about it. I need to confess to you that I didn't really like the waiter so I barely tipped him. It's not like that kind of a thing. It's something different. In this sentence, the word confession is like what I know to be true. It's like a, what I'm building my stake. It's like my thing that I'm mentally sure of. Our confession is that Jesus is the Son of God. And what we believe about Jesus is that he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He miraculously rose on the third day. And that he is coming back soon. He has an impending, impending return. And we're talking about this a lot. We talk about this a lot. The Bible has all kinds of things on hundreds and hundreds of pages. Just go back to that for one second. Go back to that for one second. But this confession is the thing that we have to get right and we have to agree on. You can read your Bible with an open heart and come to a different conclusion about all kinds of different things. It's Sunday morning. There's people meeting all over Palatine and all over the northwest suburbs and all over Chicago and all over this nation and all over this world today that believe lots of different things about the Bible than we do. And we should be kind, even though we want to understand the Bible accurately, to all those people because we're going to spend eternity with everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. And to be a believer in Jesus Christ, we have to agree on this. This is our confession. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and this is what we mean by Son of God. If we have this, we have the truth that takes a person from death to life. Now, there's like thousands more things to understand about the Bible and grow in and understand, but this is the part that we have to have right. So he says, now, because Jesus, he's the perfect priest, so we don't have to go to a guy anymore to be forgiven. We can be forgiven by Jesus. And the reason that we can be forgiven by Jesus is because he passed through the heavens He's the perfect son of God. So don't lose sight of this confession. Don't let the culture pressure you into saying there's more than one way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Don't let your experience in life soften you about it. Like, wow, I hold fast. Hold tight. Don't let it go. Now he goes on in these next two verses to talk about a little bit more about who this Jesus Christ is. Look at verse 15. It says, for... We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Get a hold of this half of a sentence. It's going to change the way you feel about the life that you're living. Double negative, right? So anytime you see a double negative, do you remember this? You, you were probably sleeping this day in like seventh grade English class. If you see a double negative, it means a positive, right, Lance? Yep. So since if we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize, that means that we do have a high priest who is able Okay, artfully said. Jesus Christ is worthy to hold on to, second, because he sympathizes with your suffering. That word there, weakness, 
is the same word that is often translated, uh, that word there, sympathize, sorry, means to suffer with. That word there, sympathize, means to suffer with. It means that Jesus Christ is with you in the difficult things that you're facing. I think I have what I mean there by suffering. We suffer from a lot of things here in this life. We suffer from our bad choices. We suffer from the problems in the world. We suffer from things outside of our control. And Jesus Christ meets us at those places. He is able to understand the things that we're navigating and dealing with. Let me just give you something that uh, has been helpful to me, and we're going to pull some of it out of this passage in just a second. There's a big difference between um, lots of different variation in the way that we react to each other. Here's what I mean. Like, kind of like base level caring for another person's situation is pity. Pity is when you look at something and you notice it, and it kind of makes you feel bad. Like, when you see a homeless person on the side of the road, or you see, like, we made the mistake last night of when we came home, we turned, like, somehow the news was on on the TV, and, like, our, the nine-year-old just started reciting to us all the terrible things that were happening in the world as he was seeing them come past. When you see a story about, oh, there was a, there was a plane crash in Malaysia, and you feel that kind of like, ugh, that's pity. It's not nothing, but it doesn't lead to anything. A second and more useful version of feeling is what I'll call sympathy. And sympathy is to be able to genuinely care about the person or thing that's suffering. Uh, not that long ago, there was a, a car accident uh, out in McHenry, but the folks that died in the car accident was like a whole family, and it was from right down the road right here in Rolling Meadows. And because my kids are the same age as the people that were in the car accident, and because it was right here local, I felt more about that as a person than I would if I heard some story about some person on the other side of the country or the world, right? Proximity. To have sympathy is to care about the, the suffering, but there's more available to you and me than that. A third level would be what we would call empathy, and that is to understand and to share in the suffering. So what's hard is it's really hard to have empathy for things that you haven't experienced yourself, you have to work really hard, and you have to work really hard at getting into the level where you're actually sharing. It's different than feeling bad for someone. I was talking to my friend Doug this morning. His daughter is right about to give birth to uh, hit Doug's first grandchild, and we were talking about how it's like longer than the due date, and we were talking about how, man, I really hope she goes and it happens soon. But as two fellows who've never been pregnant ourselves, we couldn't probably make it all the way to true empathy because we have a limit in our understanding. Right? Yeah, I know. That was the most the girls in this room have ever felt positive about what I was saying ever yet. But empathy is to be able to understand and share. And then the last and final version here is compassion. And compassion is where my feelings move to, do you see it? Now, all of a sudden, I'm actively working to relieve your suffering. And we've talked about this before. You and I can't have compassion about every single thing that happens in the world on a daily basis, but we can have compassion about some. And I want to show you that these verses suggest to me that Jesus Christ has all of this in total for you. Back to our text now. It says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So that means that he is able. Come here, Lance. You're in the sermon. I know. Act surprised like you can't believe it since you're only in it every single time you're here. Come here. You're fine. You're fine. You look great. Good. Yep. Okay. So, and this is my good friend. If you've come here for any length of time, this is my good friend, Lance, and I love putting him in the sermon. Uh, good, okay. Now, we know each other pretty well, right? We know each other. Now, here's the crazy thing. I'm putting you today, in, you're God in this illustration. So you've really been upgraded. Usually we're teasing you. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you're Morgan Freeman, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, okay, no, 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 too much? Okay. That was dangerous. That was a risky joke. All right, so. So what makes life so challenging is that Lance is over here, and I'm just letting him stand in the place of God for just a second. And what makes life so challenging is we are limited in our ability to communicate to others the things that we feel and experience. And others are limited in their ability to understand and have sympathy, empathy, and compassion for us. No matter how much you love someone, no matter how much you care about someone, this is why so often there's tension in marriages and tension between parents and tension between people who grew up in different places and tension between races and tensions between people who grew up rich and poor and all different kinds of things is because there is, there's a limit to how much we can understand the things that other people experience. And so much of communication is I'm reaching towards someone to say, I experienced this, can you meet me here? And often the, the answer is, I kind of can't. Jokingly, but it's so true, like sometimes when you try to explain to your kids what life was like before there were cell phones and how you like had to go to a pay phone and you had to call collect and you didn't know where people were some of the time and all the things that life was like, you try to explain it to them and can they understand? Not really. Why? Because they never experienced it. And we all have so many things that we bring that are weaknesses. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. That word there, weaknesses, is picked purposely. It is not referring to sin only. It's more broadly than that. So you have all kinds of weaknesses, don't you? You have mental ways that you think that aren't totally super healthy, patterns of thinking that you've developed. And it's not like God's mad at you because you're doing the wrong thing. They're just not ideal or optimal. It's a weakness. And do you know that even if every person in your life can't understand, do you know that God can understand? He understands right what it's like to feel like the way you feel. We also have emotional weaknesses, don't we? We have things that trigger us in certain ways or things that make us feel in certain ways or places that we go or things that we feel like, you know that thing where like a song can come on the radio and it was the song that was playing that night that you and her broke up in like 1999 and you just like all of a sudden your heart's like, you're like, why do I feel so sad? I, I just, that thing. And it may be really hard to express it for some people. It may be very hard for the people around you. But do you know that God looks at you and he understands. He is able to meet you at your emotional weakness. We have habits that we've fallen into. Some of us in different ways have physical problems or difficulties that make navigating life in certain ways difficult. And we have things that we've experienced. We have the parents that we grew up with the place that we lived, all the things that make it what it feels like to be me. And we feel so frustrated so often because it feels like no one understands. No one understands. And could I offer today that it's true that no one completely understands, but you have a high priest over your life who is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. He looks at you like Lance is looking at me right now, and he says, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. And 
we have a God who is holy and a God who judges our sin, and we're going to get to that in one second. But before we get to the part where our, con our choices matter, before we get that, just right here, the God of the universe knows and understands and feels and suffers with you right at the things that you deal with every day. He is worthy to hold on to because he sympathizes with your suffering. He does even more. You see, the text continues. For we ha don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Next part. But who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is worthy to hold on to because he sympathizes with your suffering, but he also empathizes with your temptations. This is crazy. Uh, this verse uh, has a lot of theological uh, argument behind it because it brings sort of into your mind. So does that mean that Jesus was capable of sinning while he was on earth? And you can take that whichever direction you want. I don't think that it totally matters. He didn't ever sin while he was on earth. He was perfect. What this verse says to me, and I believe is saying accurately, is that Jesus had the experience of longing for something other than God's best, the confusion of bad seeming better than good. That's what it means to be tempted. There's no sin in being tempted. Tempted means I look at something, and I know it's wrong, but I kind of want it anyway, or I really want it anyway. Texting means I know if I open my iPad this late at night, the kind of websites and stuff that I'm going to go look at, and I, but I really want to do it anyway because I feel lonely and sad, and so I'm going to do it. A, a temptation means I know what's going to happen if I start talking to him again, but, and I know it's bad, but I want to do it anyway. That feeling of I know it's wrong, but I want to do it anyway, that's the, that's the feeling of temptation. And this verse says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, that Jesus Christ was in, do you see it there, every respect. So in every possible way, was tempted in the same ways that we are tempted, just without sin. We so often dismiss uh, people's advice to us because we feel like they don't, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to be me. What this verse is trying to aim for, and I, I, I got to tell you, like, I don't totally know what, how exactly to put this in a box that makes sense. But whatever temptation you could imagine, this verse says that Jesus Christ experienced it, not just like a little, but enough that he was like interested or mentally desiring the wrong, yet was able to choose the good. I think that there is some astonishing grace in that half a sentence for every person who's struggling with lust, every person who's struggling with greed, every person who's struggling with same-sex attraction, every person who's trying to navigate life, feeling different in all kinds of different ways, that Jesus isn't just like over there king over you. He also knows what it's like to be right where you are. Temptation is so often something that sources in feeling alone. I reach for a bad habit. I reach for a crutch. I reach for something that I feel kind of bad while it's happening and really bad after it's done. And 20 minutes from now, an hour from now, three hours from now, I'm going to be promising that I'll never do it again. But I reach for it because I feel so alone. And sometimes anything that will make me feel a little less alone or will drown out that feeling for just a second feels preferable to keep on going. Huh. 
Jesus knew what it felt like to be alone. Yet we worship him because rather than us, we're weak. We're sinful, so we reach for the wrong thing. He was able to feel that, yet without sin, which is why he is able to have an empathy, he's able to understand and to share in your suffering. So many people, because of the kinds of people that told them about God and the attitude that they have, see Jesus as this judgmental, harsh, like, how dare you get it wrong again? And this makes me laugh. You guys know I like to stand outside uh, as the service is starting, and I love to talk to people on the way in, because uh, service ends, and then a lot of you are gone pretty quick, other than the ones of us who stay so our kids can forge through the donuts for a while. And, and people who show up late, they always, they always have that same like kind of like, Sorry, we're late. You know, or, or some people like got to launch into their story. Oh, it's just one of those mornings in the thing. And it's like, I, I don't know. Like, like, what do they think I'm going to say? Like, just get out, leave. You're not welcome here anymore. Who? Because we are so allergic to feeling that feeling of someone else making us feel ashamed or feeling bad about our choice of behavior, whatever. So, so we kind of like launch into our whole spiel without even totally realizing it, because we want to feel like it's okay to be, I'm just, I don't know. And so often, dear friends, can I just say that we're reaching for from people, even sometimes in marriage or in close friendships or in family, we're reaching for people to do something for us, dear friends, that Jesus Christ is the only one who can do for us and wants to do for us. And we put this pressure on the people in our life. They can't co totally empathize. They can't totally with your suffering and with your sin and with your food. They can't totally get it. They can try and they should try, but they can't totally get it. But Jesus understands it all. But not only this, Jesus Christ is also worthy to hold on to because he has compassion for your needs. Look at that last verse. It says, so then, because of this, let us then, means so because of what we just said, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so let's just talk about what's happening here. Oh, when I pick up my paper that I dropped. So, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. You remember what I said back at the beginning that... Uh, in the Old Testament system, that the original hearers of this sermon, the original hearers of this sermon that is the book of Hebrews were familiar with, God was unapproachable. God was, in fact, so unapproachable that the people in the Old Testament were taught that God was living inside of the Ark of the Covenant, which like, kind of looks like a big uh, treasure chest, and that the Ark of the Covenant was kept inside a part of the temple where only the high priest could go, and only the high priest could go once in a year. It was this idea of how set apart and holy God was. So there's like a room in the temple, and in that room, that's the room where God is. God's not in here, God's in this other room, and only one person is allowed to go in there, and they're only allowed to go in once a year. That's why, you may have read this in the Bible before, that when Jesus died, it says that the curtain was torn in that room in the moment that Jesus Christ died as a symbol that we don't have to go through people anymore to a faraway God, but because of Jesus Christ, we all have access equally to a God who's right there with us. And that's what he's getting at. Now, read this verse again with me. With that in your mind, 
So then let's approach this throne of grace with confidence. We don't have to be worried because in the Old Testament system, if a person touched the ark when they weren't supposed to, dead. If a person went into the room when they weren't supposed to, dead. In fact, the high priest, when he went into that room once a year, they would leave a big cord like a rope tied to his leg. So just in case he died in the room, they could pull him out because if they went in, even if he died in the room, they would be dead. That's how serious it was. Like It's not like that anymore. Let's approach the throne of grace confidently because we need to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay. So again, back to this chart. What I'm trying to say to you here is that Jesus Christ has compassion for your suffering. What you need for your suffering, that's the stuff that you deserve because of the choices you've made and the stuff that happened to you that you didn't deserve and the stuff that's from living in this crazy world. All of that comes through the portal of mercy and grace that God wants to give to you. These are simple definitions, but I encourage you to try to get them in your head and your heart. Mercy, whenever you read that in the Bible, mercy is uh, not getting what you deserve. And grace is freely getting what you don't deserve. So uh, grace is like you didn't eat your dinner, but you got dessert anyway. And uh, mercy is like you got pulled over going 120 in a residential and you didn't even get a ticket. To use examples that are very familiar to me, both of those. No, no, just kidding, 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 just kidding. So when you get mercy, it's I should have got a whole bunch of judgment, but I didn't. Mercy is like I was a dishonorable spouse and I, I, I blew the whole thing up and made all kinds of mistakes, but somehow we're still married and trying to make it forward together. That's mercy. You didn't deserve it, but you got it anyway. In grace is like I made all kinds of mistakes and this, that, and the other thing, and God has given me this beautiful family that I didn't really deserve, but he gave it to me anyway. Those are the ways in which God relieves and releases his desire to relieve your suffering. God brings you things you don't deserve, and he doesn't give you things that you do. And the way that we find access to that is by coming to him. Amazingly, not like all kind of hat in hand, nervous. Do you see what is the word there? We come confidently. Why are we able to come confidently to God and say, I'd like some more grace, please? I'd like some more mercy. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, because of Jesus. Because he's the great high priest. Because he died on the cross. Because he lived a perfect life. Because he bled and died. Because he did for us what we couldn't do. And so all of a sudden we're like, hey, I want some mercy. Hey, I want some grace. How dare you come in here? How can you come in here like that? Because of Jesus and he said I could. And so many people walk around with this like, feeling kind of guilty. Feeling kind of. And it's like we keep thinking that if I'm just good enough, if I just try hard enough, if I'm just a good enough boy for long enough, I'm going to earn the thing that Jesus Christ has already freely given to me and wants me to experience right now and in this moment. So let us come to him boldly and confidently because God doesn't just want, Jesus doesn't just want to feel the things that you feel. He has compassion for you. Feelings are cheap when help is denied. Jesus doesn't just want to feel the things that you feel with you. He wants to relieve your suffering through his mercy and his grace. And I want us to work on doing that for just a minute right now. Could you bow your head? This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.